0: So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. And I want to call our attention to the third chapter of Ecclesiastes as we read these words. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent. And a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. The reading of the sacred word is reliable and it can be trusted. Today, you will see if your pastor can do this with one hand occupied. Today, we continue in our ongoing series in the book of Ecclesiastes called Chasing the Wind, Finding Meaning. Where it matters. And we've been listening to the testifying of a man named Kohelet. And in his testifying, it, he's somewhat believable because it sounds as if he speaks from experiences. He says, I've looked for meaning and purpose and direction and contentment and satisfaction in every conceivable direction. I have looked in pleasures. I've looked for meaning in my work, in my vocational pursuits. I've looked for meaning in the, in the gathering of wisdom, in the reading of books, books, books of the reading of books. There is no end, he would say, at the end of this book. And yet at the end of every pursuit, I have found that they are, in his words, chavel meaningless the word Havel, as we discussed two weeks ago is a word that means vapor or smoke or mist it's as if chasing wind he says i see it like i see smoke and i chase after this thing that had promised me some sort of satisfaction when i get there and when i get there just like smoke i reach for it and it slips through my fingers it's Havel. and if we pay attention to the full sweep of the book of ecclesiastes we find that he says that there is a way to find meaning yeah that there really is a way to land at purpose and contentment and fulfillment and happiness but it's not in the places where we might expect it and in order to get there we have to contend as you pay attention to the full sweep of the book we have to contend with at least three major obstacles. One of them is the obstacle of death. Death is Hevel because no matter who you are or how wise or foolish you are, how rich or poor you are, how righteous or unrighteous you are at the end of your days, there will be a moment when you give back to God the breath that you borrowed from God and it equalizes all of us. He says, not only is death a great equalizer, but there's something else in this life that makes it feel as if we're chasing the wind. It's the seemingly random nature of events. Like the guy who could work out every day, eat good food, and still die at 30, while the guy who sits on his couch cramming potato chips down his throat may live into 99. Chavel. We've got to grapple with some of the inconsistencies and absurdities of life, but the third one is the one I want to talk about for just a few moments today. It is the obstacle of time. For a long time human beings have had a tenuous relationship with time we waste time we chase time we kill time we watch time fly and if we're in seasons in which the time feels difficult In seasons of difficulty, challenge, and suffering, it's as if time will not move on. It just slogs on and on as if it will never end. And if we're in a time in which we're happy and there's satisfaction and joy and a lightness of being, it's as if time won't stay put long enough to actually enjoy it. It just flies. Time Like an ever-rolling stream bears all her sons away. They fly forgotten as the dream dies at the opening of day. The trouble with time is not time itself. The trouble with time is not that time itself causes problems. It's our inability to control time that frustrates most. Amen? our inability to control it, and we have tried in every conceivable way. We create devices and mechanisms that help us measure time and segment time and organize time, and at the end of the day, they still slip our grip like smoke through our fingers. Time is an obstacle that leaves us living a life Of Havel. Do you know that for the longest time we've been frustrated not just with time but with our inability to control time? One of the first inventions that we came up with as a species was the sundial to help us organize time and measure time and and plan by time. But do you know as early as 200 years before the birth of Christ, the Roman poet and playwright Plautus was complaining about how there's just not enough time in these devices these new devices like sundials are not helping like we thought they would this is what he had to say he said the gods confound the man who first found out how to distinguish ours confound him too who in this place set up a sundial to cut and hack my day so wretchedly in small portions right so in, in his book, John Mark Comer, in his book, um, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he, he talks a little bit about the evolution of the human illusion of our control of time. St. Benedict in the 6th century, he divided the day into seven hours and had his monks praying each of those hours. These are the times when you'll be spiritual and these are the times that you'll work and these are the times that you will play and rest In in the 10th century, most monasteries had mechanical clocks that would tell the monks when it was time to get up and time to go to bed and time to eat and time to serve. But it was in the year 1070 when the very first clock was erected in Germany, a town clock that rang out and told literally told the community when it was time to wake and when it was time to eat and when it was time to worship and when it was time to rest. And this mechanism that was designed to help us live in time actually became a burden that robbed the joy and satisfaction of time from us. See, it used to be that we ordered our lives based on the rhythms of the sun which by the way is controlled by God and it used to be that we would go to bed when the sun went to bed and get up when the sun got up and the earth on its axis would tilt in such a way as to give us four seasons and there would be seasons for planting and seasons for working and seasons for harvesting and seasons for waiting but when we invent mechanisms that give us the illusion of control over time, we wreak havoc, havoc on the soul. This is what one historian had to say about it. At the invention of the clock, here was man's declaration of independence from the sun, new proof of his mastery over himself and his surroundings. Only later would it be revealed that he had accomplished this mastery by putting himself under the dominion of a machine with imperious demands all its own. And can I ask you how many, by show of hands, woke up this morning to the sound of an alarm clock? How many of you woke up to the sound of that alarm clock on your smartphone? Okay, yeah, me too, me too. Do you know that prior to 1878, the invention of the light bulb Thomas Edison, prior to 1878, when we went to bed as the sun set and when we got up when the sun rose, do you know what the average amount of sleep was per night? 11 hours per night. Yeah, how did you do last night? Doesn't that sound glorious? 11 hours of sleep and yet we have every device Conceivable to help us organize time and segment time and when we're not thinking critically, live under the illusion that we control time. And the problem is not that it just leaves us more exhausted and more tethered to our technologies. Here's the real problem. The real problem is that we still suffer the same challenge as the ancients. When we are fixated on the control of time, What we end up doing is we end up missing full contentment in the only time that we actually have, which is right in front of us. When we're worried that time has gone by too quickly, when we're worried that another time will come too quickly, we never are able to live fully in the moment and find the kind of contentment that we're all looking for, and Kohelet would say, it's cheveled. Now, in research and preparation for this message, I ran across a quote from Blaise Pascal that put me back on my heels. I want you to hear this word from across the ages and see if it speaks to something you know about. He says, We do not rest satisfied with the present. We anticipate the future as too slow in coming, as if in order to hasten its course, which we can't do, or we recall the past to stop its too rapid flight, so imprudent are we that we wander in the times which are not ours and do not think of the only one which actually belongs to us. And, and so idle are we that we dream of those times which are no more and thoughtlessly overlook that which alone exists. For the present is generally painful to us. Right? We conceal it from our sight because it, it troubles us. And if, if it be delightful to us, we regret to see it pass away. We we try to sustain it by the future and, and think of arranging matters which are not in our power for a time which we have no certainty of even reaching. Let each one examine his thoughts, and he will find them all occupied with the past and the future. We scarcely ever think of the present, and if we think of it, it is only to take light from it to arrange the future. The present is never our end. It's never the goal in our minds. It's never the end. The past and the present are our means to the future alone. The future alone is our our end. So we never live, but we hope to live. And as we are always preparing to be happy, it is inevitable we should never be so. Come on. Um, Pastor Pascal has preached to us because isn't that what we do to ourselves? We get fixed on the only times that are not in our control. And somebody is here today, I promise you, and you've been living for a long time in a general kind of malaise, a kind of generalized discontentment with life because you, like so many of us, get stuck in the past where regrets live or stuck in the future where a you do not yet live and b only fears live and we miss the glorious mystery of the right here and the right now and yet kohelet says that posture through life will make time always your enemy and you will live in pursuit of havel Because you can't find contentment there or there. It's not behind you or ahead of you. It is somewhere mysteriously right in front of your noses. So what do we do? Well, the the verses that I read just a moment ago are clearly the most popular passages or the most popular verses in all of Ecclesiastes. I mean, everyone knows these verses. And when I read them, you were singing the tune of the birds in your head, right? Do everything, turn, 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 yeah? But do you know, the most powerful verse comes after. It, It comes in the first nine verses, first eight verses, the word time is used 29 times. There's a time for this and a time for that. A time for all kinds of these things and all kinds of the other. But the most powerful line that may have something to say to you and me begins in verse 9 hear these words what do workers gain from their toil in other words what what are we doing here and then in the midst of being stuck in the past where regret lives and stuck in the future where where fears live what are we doing here What do workers gain from their toil? I have been, I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. I've seen the load that they carry, the weight that is theirs. I've seen the burden. He has made everything beautiful in its time. That verse troubles me more than any other verse I've read. For the longest time, I struggled with that verse. He makes all things beautiful in his time. Really? I mean, I get it. On one hand, I get it. I mean, I'm reading here, time to be born. Well, that's, that's beautiful. That's beautiful, time to be born, yeah. And, and, and I can get how a time to plant is beautiful and heal is beautiful. A, a time to build, yeah, to laugh, to dance. These things are beautiful. To gather stones, that's beautiful. To embrace, that's beautiful, right? To heal, to mend, these are beautiful things. God makes all things beautiful. But a time to die, a, a time to uproot I've uprooted many times in my day. it was not fun a time to kill beautiful I mean what does it mean for a time to tear down and weep and mourn and scatter stones and refrain from embracing are you kidding me In in a world of such loneliness and isolation that refraining from human embrace can be beautiful what Or or a time to give up or throw away or a time to tear, a time to be silent, a time to hate. Beautiful. A time for war. Beautiful. And yet I think right here is where our theology matters more than anything else. How we think theologically about this suggestion from Kohelet that God has made all of these things, our present circumstances, whether they are circumstances of birth or death, healing or tearing apart, how God can make all these things beautiful takes some Theological depth and exploration and I wonder if for just a moment you might go with me to another place in scripture to the New Testament because I, Paul is talking to some new Christians and Paul is saying there was a time when you walked around in darkness yeah and, and and it was shadowy and you couldn't see clearly if he was to borrow a word from Kohelet he might even say you lived in the fog the Hevel yet When Christ came to you and you welcomed Christ, you welcomed a light that has been infused in your heart to such a degree that the light of God, which was in Christ, is now in you and that illuminates the darkness and now shadows dance in the company of that light of the world and now you can see. You can see your life different than that you saw it before. You have a new lens through which to see your life. And in the fifth chapter, he picks up with these words. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, sleeper, awake. Rise from the dead, and Christ will will shine on you be careful then how you live not as unwise people but as wise making the most of the time because these days are evil so he goes on to say so do not be foolish but understand what is the will of the Lord or what the will of the Lord is now what is he saying he's saying that there is a time before you that you can see with different eyes now that the light of Christ has given you a different way to see, to view, and to do your life. And as you look at the time that is before you, whether that time is a time of birthing or a time of dying, a time of making peace or a time of warring, when you look at the time to make most of the time before you, whatever it is, see to do the will of god and you're like well i don't but i don't know the will of god i mean that's the whole problem sean i don't know the will of god yes you do yes you do christian you know the will of god right now i can tell you that you already know 98 percent of the will of god for your life and we go through life discontent, unhappy, frustrated, lost because we keep searching for the will of God, but I'm telling you, you already know 98% of the will of God right this very moment because almost 100% of the will of God is for you to be transformed into the image and character of his son, Jesus the Christ. And if that is the will of God that all may be transformed, See, you You have been adopted as sons and daughters of God. As such, we are co-heirs with Jesus. So you already know 98%. The other 2% is where am I going to live and how am I going to make money and who do I marry and what team do I pull for in the playoffs? You know the will of God. Now, if that is true, that changes everything about how we look through the interpretive lens of the right now. That means you see with new eyes, with light everywhere, that the right now, whatever it is, is the opportunity for you to do and be the will of God, to be transformed. And sometimes we are transformed in high times. I mean, at births, you know, the birth of my sons changed me. I I mean, it transformed me in ways that are more profound than words can, can describe, yet For us to be transformed into the image and character of Christ, it usually doesn't happen during the high times. It happens when we are barely hanging on by a very thin thread. When we go through the crucible, we go through the fire, as Paul said, because some will go through the fire and they will be consumed. They'll burn up because they're made of straw, but not you. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. That means when you go through the fire, it won't be as straw which is consumed, it will be like silver that is purified. So we come to Kohelet and we reread with new eyes. God makes all things beautiful in his time, but how? Well, God makes sure that there's a time to die to ourselves. To die to ourselves, to die to our ego. There's something beautiful about that. There's a time to uproot, to pluck up anything that we have rooted in soil other than the confidence of God. There's something beautiful about the uprooting. There's a time to kill my pride, a time to kill my ego, A time to kill my own lordship over this life. And there's something beautiful about that. There's a time to tear down. Doesn't sound happy, but it's a a beautiful thing to tear down false temples I have constructed to myself. Tear down this temple, and in three days, something more glorious than you can imagine will be raised in its place. There's a time to weep, yes, and mourn made beautiful when it is that we are weeping over how far we have strayed, to mourn over the ways in which we have departed from God's intent on humankind. It's a beautiful thing. To scatter and not gather the stones, to come to the place in the journey when you realize it's not about gathering, it's not about taking, it's about relinquishing everything I have for the glory of God, and there's something beautiful about Letting go. (laughs) There's something beautiful about giving up and throwing away and tearing, to tear your heart open. It reminds me of the rabbi who's talking to a student, a young boy, and the boy says, Rabbi, why is it that Torah says that we should put Torah on our hearts? Shouldn't it say that we should hide Torah in our hearts? And the rabbi said, no, no, no. You hide Torah on your hearts because in time, life will make your hearts hard. Then when your heart breaks, Torah will fall in. Maybe it's a time to tear open our hearts and receive the thing God has been wanting to give us the whole time. All things are made beautiful in their time, a time to be silent, a time to hate Is a hard one unless it's a calling to hate injustice to hate oppression to hate racism to hate the tragedies of gun violence to hate the things that rob people of life rather than sustain life and that is a beautiful hate to hate but to also make war. A beautiful thing to make war, not on one another, but to make war on the powers and principalities of the mind and heart that keep us separate from one another and separate from God. And when, when we come to a time in our lives that is either beautiful or brutal, then through the eyes of Christ, Illumined by his love, we see that every brutal thing can be made beautiful in Christ. So, what do you do about the time you're in now? Because he goes on, beginning in verse 11, to say these words, he has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken away from it. God does it (laughs) so the people will fear him. Maybe the most helpful thing that you can do for yourself today is to ask yourself, what time is it? And I don't don't mean what time do you wish would never go away, and I don't mean what time do you fear may be coming. I'm talking about what time is it right here, right now? Are you currently in a season in which there is joy, satisfaction, contentment, happiness. If so, Kohelet says, well, then live it up. Enjoy it because you know it won't last. So while it's here, if you're in a season, and what time is it? If it's a time of celebration, then go to the birthday party and have a second slice of cake. If it's a time of joy, go to the wedding and dance like nobody's watching you. What time is it? If it's that kind of time for you, then live, eat, drink, make life matter now. Because it comes and it goes. And the secret, the wisdom is to live in it when it is here. Now, but what if the time is not good what if you ask yourself what time is it for my life right now and the only answer is it's a time of suffering it's a time of challenge a time of of deconstruction it's a time of of mystery and I don't I don't know what time it is if that's the kind of time it is then I'm here to tell you as your pastor and your friend it's the right time right now is the right time for transformation into Christ. Transformation that is into the image and likeness of Christ. Right now, the present difficulty you face will not last. But while it remains, allow it to do the work it is intended to do, which is to make you aware of the sustaining grace of God that is yours. What time is it?